Hello, my name is Andy Morgan, and welcome to another episode of the RipBody.com podcast. So it is a calories in, calories out thing. That's that part is still not uh, really debatable. I mean, I know the, the low carb guys will debate that, but um, that part's not debatable. It's, it's sustaining that. Uh, that's that's hard. So you know, I was saying when we lose weight, our bodies for some reason, most people. Not, maybe not everybody, and it's, there's certainly an individual effect, but their appetite will start going up, and, and that, that can be hard to overcome. That's Spencer Nadolski, a family physician who specializes in helping people with obesity. He's a doctor that likes to prescribe lifestyle interventions first with his patients, meaning he tries to help them via diet and exercise before moving to his prescription pad whenever possible. We talk about many topics including why obesity has recently been classified as a disease, why though calories in, calories out is what determines weight loss, telling someone to eat less and move more doesn't generally work, how medicines can cause side effects that hamper weight loss, how to interpret your cholesterol numbers, and related the potential dangers of bulletproof coffee. Spencer, thank you for joining me on the podcast today. Thanks, man. I appreciate your time. Um, now, from your bio on your website, hey there, I am Spencer Nadolski. And if you have ever wanted a physician who pushes lifestyle before pharmaceuticals when possible, you came to the right place. Love it. Absolutely love it. Um, can you tell us, can you tell the people listening um, uh, a little about what it is that you do? Yeah, so I'm a traditional family medicine physician with a, an obesity specialty board certification. So, uh, you know, in, in, in the UK, that would be a, a GP, but then I also have a specialist board in actually obesity medicine, which is a pretty new um, type of uh, specialty. You know, it's a, you know, just recently got named a disease and people didn't really take it seriously so um now we realize we need physicians actually treating it so a lot of what i do is i treat a lot of chronic conditions um with lifestyle meaning exercise and nutrition and then you know give medicines when appropriate so if like somebody comes in with high blood pressure or hypertension uh you know i, I ask them hey has anybody ever discussed with you about exercise and nutrition to improve this you know, they might already be on a couple of medicines for it. And they say, you know what, you know, the last doctor mentioned you should do diet and exercise, but they didn't actually tell me how to do it. So um, I kind of go from there and teach them how to improve their blood pressure through diet and exercise. Same thing with any other non-communicable uh, chronic diseases that can be treated with lifestyle. And you would say that this is not that common in your profession to suggest well, diet and exercise? So it, it, it's supposed to be. It's the number one, when you look at all these uh, chronic disease guidelines, it's the number one treatment, first-line treatment, lifestyle, first-line treatment. I even, you know, I wrote a, a med page today as a news syndicate for um, for uh, medical news, and my brother and I did a, a lifestyle medicine column, and, and we talk about it. We pulled up all the guidelines, and it's all, it's it's number one, lifestyle, for pretty much everything that you can think of. But the reason, there are multiple reasons why most doctors don't do it. Number one, I think, is it's a system failure. We get, you know, five to ten minutes. Sometimes we, you know, 30 minutes if we really push it with a patient. 
Um, that's the, so there's a time constraint. And then also there's an education uh, issue that doctors aren't, we're, we're not taught this stuff very well in, in medical school. And I don't think a lot of doctors go into medical school wanting to push lifestyle. They, they went in to learn pathology and, and learn medicine. Um, and so there's, there's, there's kind of an issue there because exercise and nutrition certainly are medicine. Um, you know, and so some of these people say, hey, well, they at least need to know how to refer out to a dietitian or an exercise physiologist or whatever to, to use it. But oftentimes the resources are so low that you can't even do that either. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I am one, you know, I'm one of, you know, there are many doctors out there to do it, but I'm very vocal about it because I think we need to do a lot better. We're just, we're not, we're not good enough at it and we should be doing better. And why is it that um, you're different in this regard? It comes down to your personal experience, the way that you grew up, yeah. would you say? Yeah, yeah. So my, my dad was a, a biology teacher and the wrestling coach and football coach. Uh, brother is, is four years older than me, and, and um, my mom was an elementary school teacher. So uh, the story is basically that my brother's four years older than me, so he goes to high school first, does really well in athletics, we were always taught um, uh, hard work, exercise, nutrition. Um, but when I got into high school, he graduated, went out to college to, to wrestle with a scholarship. When I got there, I thought I was just going to rely on my awesome genetics to, to be good. And I, I wasn't good. I was actually, um, I, I didn't even start. He was a state champion and all these different stuff. And I didn't even start. Um, so... I used nutrition and exercise science to propel myself, like just honed in and worked so hard and studying as much as I could to figure out the best way um, to get bigger, faster, stronger. And so um, from there, I, you know, I, I got a scholarship, went to uh, wrestling college, university, did, did pretty well. And then I was wanted to go to medical school and I wanted to use that information that I learned to propel myself in athletics, but for the, um, the general population. So I figured, you know, you're just taking a fraction of my obsession with nutrition and exercises uh, for athletics could prevent and possibly cure chronic disease. So, you know, now that I'm actually working with patients, I see it. And, and, and you know, the studies are there, um, but even the studies don't show how powerful it is because, you know, you you have to get people to really buy in and it's amazing what happens when people buy into exercise and nutrition i mean more powerful than any medicines you could ever imagine for chronic certain chronic diseases not you know i i, I had um i post about it on my facebook all the time my, my facebook professional page i got a decent following there and you know i talk about it and once in a while i'll get somebody in there they'll talk about a chronic disease that they have that probably can be improved with diet and exercise, but not, you know, put into remission. So, but, but you know, the, mm -hmm. the, the common things, diabetes, hypertension, you know, even cardiovascular disease to an extent. So. Brilliant. Thank you. Um, we've got a little buzzing on the line. Could you turn the um, gain down just a little bit? And could you see if your phone is on the table next to your computer? And if it is, put it like far away. Got it. I don't know if that is it, but it's just a. You hear it thing. now? Um, it it was it comes and goes intermittently, so you know. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, it's okay. I'm going to cut that section, so we're just going to roll. Yeah, through. that's yeah, what yeah, I yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, 
So there's no doubt in your mind about the power of exercise and um, diet interventions then? Oh, absolutely. There's no doubt. Um, so you, you were talking just then about the importance of getting buy-in from your patients. Um, how is it that you go about that? I've heard you talk about this before. Um, I wonder if you could just uh, just explain it for those listening. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of psychological techniques, and I'm I'm no psychologist. I just have a very um, uh, a passion for it because it's so important as a clinician. We, you know, if if it were just paternal, you know, we just said do this, and it would happen. We, you know, <laughs> a lot of what I do wouldn't be needed. You know, so a lot of a lot, you know, a lot of it is is motivational, motivational interviewing and. And really coaxing it out of patients. I, I talk I like I talk about like with my my mom and my dad trying to. You know, my dad's pretty healthy, but my mom has some habits that I wish she would um, change. And so like I, I I'm not able to treat her like a patient. I'm just like mom, just do it. And I know that that's the wrong way. So with my patients though, you 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 ask for permission to, if you can talk about their weight or and if we can talk about nutrition exercise at, you know, kind of asking as opposed to telling and then just listening and then kind of being reflective on that guiding, you know, the whole motivational interviewing thing. Um, uh, and so it's, it's, it's tough from a client, especially when you're, you have some time constraints, you know, when you're, you have five to 10 minutes with a patient, like a lot of times we're rushed. And so we kind of push through that, um, that patient visit, but but if we just sit back and just listen for a second, uh, we can make a lot of good things happen. You're just talking about motivational interviewing. I've got my copy yep. right here. Yeah, that's the one right there. It's very it up good. When I was in Toronto. So. Very simple. Just very simple things can make a big time difference. I mean, you know, the the role with resistance. Otherwise, if you push, they'll push back so very hard at you. It's interesting. I mean, like smoking, for example. Most doctors be like, do you smoke? And they go, yes. And, and then the doctor will say, well, you know you need to quit. You know it's really bad for you, right? It's like, of course, they already know. I mean, there's so many things out there. They, they know it's bad. So I, I basically, for something like that, I would say, well, um, did you ever think about quitting? And they go, yeah, I've thought about it. I'm like, well, I'll be here when, whenever you want to. I'm not going to push it. And they, and they respond <laughs> extremely well to that. It's amazing. Mm. Interesting. Uh, it's a slight, it's a different setting, but um, it's kind of when people hear what I do, um, let's say I'm introduced to someone or, you know, it's kind of thrust upon that person as well. Um, then they kind of feel the need to then say, oh, yeah, I'm interested in diet and training. And maybe we should talk about that sometime. And of course, the approach there is okay, well, um, this is my card or this is my website. Um, and if you are, have a look, and if you are interested, um, come and speak to me. You can't push, yeah, exactly. uh, you, you can't push these things on people. And uh, I'm, I'm not a salesman. Yeah, <laughs> anyway, no, so. I know. I'm not either. Yeah. Exactly. But you are very good at what you do. Um, you're also the director of, um, director of medicine for examine.com, is it? Director of uh, medical, uh, the, just like the the research, the medical research. Um, so uh, you know, if if there's ever a question about uh, uh, medical portion of some study, mm. 
Kamal or somebody will, will reach out to me and just ask. Gotcha, gotcha. And you paid a, a good 100, 200 grand for that each year, right? <laughs> I wish. <laughs> and uh, and uh, I guess the final qualification, I just want to double check. You do lift, yeah? Yeah, exactly. All right, perfect. Um, you mentioned earlier on, and this is a big thing that I wanted to come to, um, obesity has been classified as a disease. Is this worldwide or is this just in the States? Yeah, it's, it's starting to spread. I mean, so the uh, American Medical Association, the AMA, um, in 2013, so they listed it as a disease. They, they had a consensus. They all came together. You know, there, there are a couple people within that kind of disagreed, um, but most people agree now. And it's based on just a, a definition of what a disease actually is. Okay. You know, um, and so they, a lot of people get mad about that because they think, well, obesity is a lifestyle choice. How can that be a disease? It's just eating, eating less and moving more. That's ridiculous. But then, you know, the, we can go over the, what the definition uh, criteria are, but, um, but the same thing can be said about type 2 diabetes. I mean, that's a, that's a life, I mean, mostly, for the very most part, it's a lifestyle um, choice, really. I mean, mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a lifestyle uh, created disease. Hypertension, the same way. Even cardiovascular disease. I mean, of course, there are um, uh, genetic components to all of these different things. But uh, these are very lifestyle driven. So, you know, the, the criteria the, the AMA um, uh, came up with uh, were basically that you have uh, an impaired um, normal bodily function. Uh, you have some signs and symptoms. Uh, you have some harm and morbidity thrown in there and then potential increased risk of mortality and complications. So regarding obesity, that kind of fits all those criteria. So another thing that people say is, well, you can't just catch obesity. And, and the same thing is it's, it's a non-communicable disease, just like any other chronic lifestyle-related disease, hypertension, type 2 diabetes. So um, uh, it's, it's a little bit of a paradigm shift. We, we want to treat it like a chronic disease because it's so hard for people to lose weight and keep it off. And so people, um, when we start shifting the way we think about it, uh, we start thinking of different uh, treatment um, uh, modalities. So, you know, yeah, it's, it's behavioral therapy should be baseline diet and exercise. But what's found in the in the trials that people don't actually um, people aren't that successful, and and there's multiple reasons for that. A lot of biological reasons. The body works against you. Increased appetite, decreased non-exercise activity. So Let's talk about that. It's not just about calories in, calories out for these people. Or I mean, is, so but. It, Could it, you explain it, that? So it, it is. It's just extremely hard for people to sustain it. So, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with Kevin Hall, but a lot of these, these really smart mathematicians who, who, who um, do these studies, and, and it shows that basically, you know, at, this, at these big, huge trials that we see, you know, Alan Aragon, you know, he puts in his research review of these big studies that we see, um, people lose weight and they get down to their lowest weight around that six-month uh, period. And it's like a 12-month trial. And around that six-month, they get to their uh, get to the low point. And then they all start slowly gaining from that point. Not everybody, but, you know, most, most people. And so to where the average of these one 
year trials, you know, the, one of the more successful ones that came out uh, recently um, showed maybe an eight to 10% of your weight um, uh, coming off, which is very good. But then if, after you follow them for a few more years, everybody, <laughs> most people regain that weight, you know, and most people would say 10% weight loss isn't even that successful. We, we as physicians like to see five to 10% at least, because that's where we start seeing the blood sugar and blood pressure and everything improve. But, um, yeah, so it's, it, so it is a calories in calories out thing. That's, that part is still not, uh, really debatable. I mean, I know the, the low carb guys will debate that, but, um, that part's not debatable. It's, it's sustaining that. Um, that's that's hard. So you know, I was saying, when we lose weight, our bodies, for some reason, most people, not maybe not everybody, and it's there's certainly an individual effect, but their appetite will start going up, and and that that can be hard to overcome. So the other thing that happens is, you know, I I know you've seen a few lectures. Um, from James Krieger that shows, you know, he talks about all the non-exercise activity thermogenesis studies. Yep. He kind of compiles them, does a good lecture on it, and shows, hey, what does, that, we, what does that mean, sorry? Any, so any, basically, yeah, so basically any, I always talk about just basically any activity that's not purposeful exercise. So, you know, doing chores, walking around, all these little things. So when you lose weight, we subconsciously stop doing those other things, even just fidgeting and, and stuff like that. So uh, it's, it's some of it's out of our control, but we can, you know, if we have a step counter, we can kind of see, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm not getting as many steps, so I can, you can at least go for another walk. But things like that subconsciously and automatically decrease and it fights against us. Our you know, our appetite, you know, when people say, well, just don't eat that, don't just, just push yourself away from the table and put your fork down, it's it's true that is a choice but there's a strong driver to make you continue to eat and the same thing with there's reward uh, pathway dysfunctions you know so it's easy for me to tell my patients don't eat that donut eat the apple so there's it's true it's a true try in fact I'm writing a blog about it right now it is Hmm. because I wrote about is obesity really a choice it's 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 a hard tough question but we do have free will in the given fleeting moment to make choices but there can be strong drivers to make a certain choice so some so, people suffer with um i'm sorry i didn't mean to cut you off yeah no go ahead so some people suffer with higher levels of hunger than others after dieting and some people yep. actually have um sorry what was the phrase that you just used um uh, oh, met- re- metabolic re- pathway re- issues did you say yeah re- reward reward pathway, reward pathway issues, issues yeah. and 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 actually you know th- some of those actually improve with like you know weight loss so those actually do improve um but it's it's you know someone that has obesity you know especially the abdominal obesity with a lot of inf- inflammation you know they get the leptin resistance and all this different stuff in the brain a lot of those people have reward pathway dysfunctions to where it's like hey you know, stop being lazy and stop eating that crap. There's a there's a strong driver to push it that way. Now, some people will say, "Oh, you're you're taking out um, free will. You're saying that uh, you know people just don't have a choice, so they might as well give up." It's like, no, no. I'm just saying it's tough, and we need to understand that it's tough, so we know how to actually treat these patients. We can't just say you just you know you're lazy. You just need to eat less, move more. We have to understand that it's tough find strategies and, and, and things to help 
actually get them through it because it is it's just it's so difficult for people to lose weight and keep it off because of those uh, drivers and you know even there's a little bit of metabolic slowdown you know the whole uh, metabolic adaptation um, stuff which isn't as big of an issue as, as probably the neat and the and the appetite but that's you know just another little thing thrown in there and also of course our environment being so obesogenic that it's just like we're surrounded at, you know at least at home this is what we talk about you have a choice to to surround your home and your foods in your home with good healthy um, high filling low calorie foods but you know you don't you don't have the choice necessarily at work, um, but you can at least have the choice to have foods in your own like cubicle or something you can bring and plan. Um, so it's just it's just working with with uh, patients and clients to really focus on the things that they can control and then having them accept what they can't control, but but um, do the best you can. Uh, it, it's interesting. I just want to riff off that point you said there about um, the environment. Um it's such a different environment from Japan. America is. I've been there multiple, multiple times now, and it's. I can totally see how it would be hard to eat healthy, yeah. and, and unless you plan, you get your shopping in, and you prepare your meals. Yeah. Because yeah. If everyone drive. Okay. All right. New York, SF excluded. Um, everyone drives everywhere. Um, it's drive-throughs everywhere. Um, yeah. Going down to the supermarket to get a snack. This is a real. This is a bit of a mission to do. You know, if if I'm here, the closest place I can get, say, um, uh, I don't know, chicken breasts, a salad, and uh, uh, a banana. Let's say, um, that's on the first floor of my building. I I can then walk another fifty yards, and I'm at a supermarket. Um, or I could walk another hundred meters um, west. And then I'll find another two convenience stores on the corner there. Yeah, you know it's it's uh, it's it's totally it's totally different. It, it's um, I'm 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 smiling. It's it's um, yeah. It really I wouldn't say blew my mind, but um, it took me by surprise, or it gave me more of a sense of understanding for the importance of um people planning yes yes very very much and you know so that's that's the thing so it's like when people say oh you're just basically saying everybody's doomed um and it's like no it just takes a conscious effort to to actually do that planning and it's 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 tough to do time you know we have a we have a very strong driver to want to sit on the couch and watch tv i mean it's that's very pleasurable and it feels good we we want to be lazy it's easy, much easier to do that than say, you know what, I'm going to go um, cook or do my workout or whatever. It's just, I mean, I, I, I'm a, I feel like I'm a well-oiled machine, but I still have a very strong drive to do it. I've just, I've just been so ingrained with these good habits that I just, I know I have to. It's automated uh, now, right? Yeah, it is. I mean, but I have a, I mean, there are a lot of times where I'm like, you know what. I should, I just want to lay on the couch and then I go, ah, I got to do it, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. So it's, I can just imagine my patients who never had that, those strong habits driven into them, plus their obesity and all this inflammation and everything. Yeah, of course it's tough for them. Would you say one habit at a time is the way to go for people? 
You know, so I know that's a big thing in the fitness industry right now, and it's, it has been for about five years or so. Um, and I, I think that's a decent way for some people, but I'm not. I actually don't think that's the best way for most people. Interesting. I, I think, okay. I think that we don't give people enough credit, and I, I think this idea, kind of was spun from. I, I feel like it was from a pop. Uh, it was Leo, <laughs> the guy, Leo, um, whatever, the, the, the Zen guy. Um, he, he was talking about the, the, the one habit at a time, and then I know Precision Nutrition kind of did that, and, and it, was, it got big. It's, it's like, this is the way you need to teach it, and, and otherwise you can't handle more than one at a time. It's like, no, actually, you know what? All the biggest interventional trials for weight loss, they were very intensive, extremely intensive. Yeah. With all sorts of, I mean, just every thrown the book at them, and 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 did um, you know? And have we ever compared that to one habit at a time? No, but there are some studies that show the kind of small little habits here and there, and they don't do that well, <laughs> you know. It's like, so it, it's just it has to be individualized because some people do extremely well with it, but mm-hmm. some people it's not fast enough for them, and they get frustrated and they and they fall out. So do you think that's probably key then, seeing that progress? quickly so therefore they can yeah. keep up that those I mean, habits. The, the data shows and this a lot of people argue with me the data shows that people with rapid weight loss in the beginning if they have a lot to lose not you know people in contest preparation that just need to lose small body fat percentages but people with a lot of weight to lose i mean more than 20 30 pounds i mean people with obesity people that lose weight rapidly in the beginning tend to do the best and there may be some physiological um, um, reasons behind this but I think it's probably a combination of physiological and psychological you see the results it motivates you you keep going Um, you stay you stay adherent to the to the program because you realize it's working and you want to do it there may be some inflammation lowering in your brain if you had some of that Um, so so the way I kind of do it I, I give I give some rapid weight loss plans in the beginning, and they're very cookie cutter type of, you know, meal replacement shake type um, um, plans. But then, but then you you don't just set them and forget them. You know, you don't just put them on their way. Take, give me my hundred bucks and see you later. Goodbye. I'm going to go on to the next person. You have to then implement the habits because you still need those habits for later you have to teach them at some point so you you start throwing them in you give them the rapid weight loss in the beginning and then you start pushing those habits and having them learn them and and no they shouldn't be getting a ton of habits all at the same time so they can't handle it but they can they can follow a very relatively strict plan in the beginning while then slowly weaning them off to where they can go off on their own yeah, it's interesting that's what i do as well um, slight different populations because obviously you're an obesity specialist and a doctor and I don't generally work with obese clients but yeah um, there are two things I just wanted to pick out from the last 10 minutes of conversation one was um, quite interesting I don't really need you to comment on it because we covered it but um, the reward pathway um, uh, issues that people have um, that means that a donut for one person is going to taste more delicious than for another person. Did I get that right? Potentially, there's more more of a, there there may be more of a a drive. They they may not derive as much pleasure 
you know, mm. they start doing these. The other way, yes. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. They don't derive as much pleasure, therefore they eat a donut and a half instead of, or two instead of one. Potentially, yeah. I mean, this this is, mm. I mean, there's a lot of nuances in here. Uh, you know, there's functional brain MRIs um, in, in, in seeing what happened. And actually, you know, just questionnaires showing, you know, people losing weight rapidly and showing their cravings afterwards, all sorts of different questionnaires to try to figure this out. Um, and, and the brain studies, the brain imaging studies, which are fascinating, by the way. Um, Spencer's face is, face is just completely lit up there. You can see he's a real geek about this stuff. He tries to hide <laughs> behind his true bro facade, but like it's that. Well, so the, so I go to these conferences, you know, and, and these people are extremely smart. You get the bench researchers. So I'm just, you know, I'm a, I'm a clinician, physician. I try to um, get involved with certain studies and things like that. But these guys, they're sitting there with rats and, and just – they don't talk to patients, and that's fine. We need those people. And so one of the studies showed they they somehow stereotypically put a a, a a light inside of a rat's brain and right in the one of the reward pathway uh, spots. And so they they're they're sitting there and they flip the switch and the the rat voraciously is eating the chow in front of them, just 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 blah blah blah, blah you know just killing it. They turn off the light and then they stop. Just it was it was just fascinating. So stuff like that is really cool to to watch. Through through in into the air, through the air into it's, the brain. They they actually they actually put a needle. Into, I don't know how they figure. They you know usually we use CT scans when we're trying to put needles. You know these special um, uh, imaging things when we're doing needles into people's backs and all sorts of stuff, mm -hmm. epidurals and putting in the right spot. And, and neurosurgeons use these, but in a tiny little rat, they somehow did it and put it right in the right area where the neurons were. Wow. And, and you know, I don't think it was through the ear. It was actually through, you know, whatever spot in the, their skull. And so, yeah, so stuff like that is fantastic. And we're only getting smarter. They're, they're, they're learning so much stuff. And that's, um, you know, a lot of these medicines that we're trying to to make, um, to get manufactured, to, to actually work in those pathways, potentially to treat it. I don't know. It's interesting. Um, you've written a book called The Fat Loss Prescription. Um, can you tell me why is it that you decided to write that and what is it that you hope to achieve with that book? Yeah, so it's a funny story. Basically, I moved with my, my wife. She's a neonatology fellow you know, working with tiny little babies. And she was uh, sent up here to Bethesda, Maryland. We were in Virginia Beach area. And so I had to get a new job. And I, um, there's a thing called credentialing where you have to submit all your information. Then they get these insurance companies to then accept um, your claims and, and actually pay you. Well, mine got set back by a month. So I, I had a month of just sitting here. And I said, you know what? I've always wanted to write a book. Because there are no, there are absolutely no books out there that that I think would be perfect for giving to my patients. Because I think they're too esoteric. They always focus in on one one cause of, of their weight gain. They're and they're just too they're too long. You know, there, there's no point. There's there's you know, you could just it's it's a tiny book. It's a hundred pages, pretty much to the T. And it's a very short read, and it's it's all you really need. And so, like, I'm just straight to the point. It's through my voice uh, and very just reasonable. So I figured, hey, if I do this real quick, 
um, put it in through Amazon at you, John Goodman, um, told me I was just going to make an ebook and then print it off for my patients. He said, no, just do it through Amazon. Create space is, um, the self publishing company. And so now I, I literally give it to pretty much all of my patients unless they don't have a weight issue. I say, Hey, you're interested in weight, weight loss here, read this book and come back and see me. We'll talk about it. So it was, it was just, it was, it was made to be a patient handout. But then I have a lot of online followers that wanted to read it too. So I was like, yeah, well, whatever. I'll put it on Amazon. So that's pretty much fun. It's very good. I've told you in person. Um, uh, you, you released it a year, a year, about a year ago, was it? Almost a year ago, yeah. 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 Um, I'll probably update it here soon. There, there are some things in there that I just I try to simplify too much. And I'm like, you know what? I may have simplified it a little bit more than I should have, which is okay. That's why you have revisions. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm the same. Um, there's always, there's always stuff that you can look back a few months later and be like, oh yeah, could have done that better, but you can never see <laughs> yeah. it at the time. Right. Yeah, of course. Yeah, it is a quick read. It's two hours. And if people want to find that, um, where would they go? Fatlossprescription.com would it be? Or well, yeah, Amazon, you, just, or? I would just, you just go to Amazon fat loss prescription. Okay. Yeah. Give and, me five stars. <laughs> <laughs> and who's it, who's this written for? Um, so the, the guys, uh, that come to me, um, these are generally, they'll be somewhere between 10 and 20% body fat, and they're looking to get just shredded lean, and they'll be experienced right. weight trainees. Um, this book isn't really for them, but it's more it, for, perhaps for their friends. Their, yeah. um, it's, it's, it's a great, um, so, okay, for example, um, I, I've been fortunate to co-author um, some books with Eric Helms and Andrew Valdez. However, these books are written for guys like ourselves, guys like right. my customers, it's not something that I can go and give my friends who want to get into lifting. It's right. just, it's a step too far right now. Yeah. Yeah. For exactly. So, I mean, it's literally like more of the general population who just, you know, they think they want to get into some exercise, diet, nutrition stuff, and want a reasonable source uh, of information. So, I mean, um, you know, 20 percent body fat type of, you know, wanting to lose 20, 30 pounds or more um, type of thing. And same, you know, same with women too. Right, right, yeah. Um, I don't know if you, you've you got it locked up in your head enough. Uh, are you familiar with the, the steps that you get people to go through? Um, you've got nine points written in the book. Um, yeah, I don't... List all nine. But. Yeah, I don't have the exact... I mean, so basically we go through, you know, how you, how you eat and then we start talking about the different steps of how you eat and... and and discussing the, the healthy habits of of eating you know people talk about oh a vegan diet's best and all these types of diets are best but there are certain principles that are good you know you want to have a lot of vegetables a lot of plants a lot of fruits and then lean protein you want to eat it slowly that type of thing and then and then we go from the eating you know and obviously tracking calories is, is part of that um if if need be but and then we talk about how you move and and so we talk about how having a combination of resistance and aerobic training is probably the best. You know, people are, I just, you know, I, I read an article the other day, is, and this is a, an obsession of a lot of weightlifters, is that all you need is weightlifting. You don't need, uh, you know, you don't need cardio. Well, yeah, technically if you are eating uh, fewer calories and you're, you're weightlifting, yeah, that's that's fine. But for, for an all-around all, all around, um, optimal health, 
you probably want to do a combination of the two. And and for the general population who wants to um, lose weight, probably a combination of the two, just for health purposes and 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 whatnot. And then we go into how you live, which is also um, uh, includes like things like sleep and stress and, and emotional eating and that type of stuff. Um, and so then, so then I, I, I go into if those don't work, then you know we talk about the medicines and surgery and conditions that um, prevent weight loss or hinder weight loss and actually may cause weight gain. Yeah, I, I like that you've put it in that order. Um, so you've got the action plan, then you've got troubleshooting it, then you've got a whole separate section, part two, which is, as you said, the conditions and medications that can interfere with the weight loss. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and a lot of, you know, even a lot of doctors don't even um, look at that stuff. You know, they're, they're busy. They're just trying to give, get people out the door and they're given scripts. I understand, but I think, like I said, we need to do a better job. And so the goal of this was to give, you know, cast my net wide. And so people could look at this and, and then bring it to their doctors and say, hey, I'm on this medicine. Do I need to be in this medicine? Is there an alternative? If I need to be on this, I guess I understand that this may be a barrier. That's pr pretty much the idea. And then the doctors can go, oh, you know what? He's right. Um, let's do something else because, you know, they don't have time. You've got a big long list of all the different medications that can cause this in your, in your book. I thought that was quite um, well, exceptionally useful, um, quite brave as well um, to throw it out there because I, I, I kind of find that if you give people an excuse to latch on to, then I'll immediately jump to that before going through part one diligently, right? <laughs> Which comes right, back to exactly. why you wrote it in that order. Right, exactly, exactly. But there are some so, conditions that can actually um, interfere with weight loss medical conditions, right? Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, a, a lot. everybody thinks it's their thyroid. That's always the most common. Everybody's like, it must be my thyroid. You know, I have a glandular problem. And unfortunately, I wish it were. I wish that were the case. Um, but it's usually not the thyroid, uh, but you don't want to miss it. You definitely don't want to miss if their thyroid's off because then you're going to look silly. Um, I personally have a thyroid issue, so I'm very, uh, very cognizant of patients and I try to screen for it, um, no matter what, uh, if they have any symptoms of it. And then, you know, there are other things that are related to it, like PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome for women. And, you know, of course, going through menopause will increase your, your odds of, of weight, especially around the abdominal area. Um, and then the other rarer things like Cushing's disease, which is an excess, excess cortisol in the body um, made by the adrenal glands. So, um, you know, just things to be aware of. The I think probably most the medicines are probably the most uh, to be aware of because doctors are just throwing everybody on all sorts of medicines and, and they don't even realize the side effects so um, that's why I put them in there interesting they don't realize the side effects that's what that's what um, most interests or surprises well, me it's 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 yeah so you know you're you're in a you're in a patient room uh, you know, and they come up with some, you know, tons of complaints. You have like five to 10 minutes and you're like, okay, you should probably just diet and exercise, you know, type of thing. They may throw that out there, but, but they're like, but they're not going to do that. So here's a medicine that will just kind of treat the symptoms. Um, and, and, you know, unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately, a lot of these things can cause 
weight gain and, and maybe the doctors aren't aware or maybe if they are aware they're just not thinking about it at the time um so yeah it's that, that happens mm-hmm. you don't blame them it's just a it's just kind of the way the system is really. yeah i mean i try to i try to give doctors as much credit because there's so many people on the internet that just just rag on doctors you know yeah. um and I, I just I try to give them more credit, I, and they're just like, well, you know, you're just you're just doing a better job. I'm like, no, I mean, I'm of course I'm, I'm, I'm very interested in in weight and stuff like that. But um, I think it's a system issue because I can't in in my current system I can't do what I think is optimal for for my patients. But that's a whole other story. Okay. Well, do you want to go into that story, or would you prefer move on? Well, well, yeah. I mean, basically, if, how are you supposed to give lifestyle intervention? You'd like to our, get them down you know? the gym, would you? Or you'd like to have like a network of trainers so you can be like, boom, yeah, you're gonna stick with him. This is all paid for on your medical cover. Yeah, um, yeah. Okay. So it was yeah. So if basically if if the system dictates that I only truly have five to twenty minutes, maybe I do have enough time to to do the ask permission and, and say, yeah, you want to do this? Okay. I have the perfect guy for you. I'm going to refer you to Andy Morgan and he's going to take, take care of you. (laughs) Or the other option is, and this is what I actually like more is if I had more time with patients and, um, and there are some things that I'm, I'm working on with a, a company right now, but basically we, we don't, People shouldn't have to come in, take a half day of, of work off to come in to see me, wait in the waiting room, get, you know, travel to see me in a clinic, wait in the waiting room and, and then see me for five to ten minutes when I could have just had them check their blood pressure at home, shoot me a text message basically, and then adjust their medicines or adjust their diet and exercise plan. Um, that they shouldn't be. I mean, so we're wasting a lot. We're not using our technology as we should. We have a lot of overhead, a lot of bloat in the United States. I mean, you know, the different countries have different, you know, they do a better job at keeping costs lower. So, um, but uh, for us, we just, you know, healthcare is a business, unfortunately. It's for profit. and while I like making money, you know, I, I think capitalism is, is great. I think we have it wrong here in, in the United States for healthcare. care. Uh, so that's my little spiel. Well, thank you for sharing. Um, I've got a scenario for you. Um, someone comes um, back from the doctor. Um, let's say they come into me and they say they've got a warning about their cholesterol, their total cholesterol being high and they're told to exercise and eat healthier, but they swear they're exercising and eating healthier. And I know they are because I'm, say, looking at their, I'm controlling their diet plan um, and their training plan. Um, I don't think this is uh, an uncommon thing. I'm not saying I don't offer to check people's blood panels um, and my clients. I think that's out of my um, scope of practice. Um, But I don't think this is an uncommon thing. What would you say to... Uh, those people yeah so it, it, I, I would hope the doctor would sit down and kind of explain the the lipid panel to them because on the lipid panel a standard lipid panel they have a total cholesterol but then they also have an HDL cholesterol HDL is considered the quote good cholesterol yep. and then there's the LDL cholesterol which is actually calculated based on, on, on the triglycerides um, as well and that's 
quote, the bad cholesterol. And then, of course, you have your triglycerides in there, too. So what I, I would hope that the doctor would kind of explain, because the total cholesterol, uh, you can't really tell much based on that. I mean, you can to a certain point um, a little bit, but you want to see the breakdown of it and see, well, wait, is your actually your HDL cholesterol pretty high? And that's making your total cholesterol a little bit higher. Um, and then, uh, you know, what I, what we all like to do is now look at what's called the non-HDL cholesterol. So you take your total cholesterol and you subtract your HDL cholesterol. Um, so everything that's left over is considered that, quote, bad cholesterol. Right. Um, however, you, you, were in, you were in the lecture, you know, it was like a year and a half ago now. It's time flies. But yes. basically what, what we really want to know are the part how how many particles are there that are actually carrying the cholesterol. So there's a certain type of particles that actually penetrate the, the walls of your arteries. So that's why we look at the non-HDL, because HDL cholesterol, the stuff that carries uh, the HDL particles, that carries the HDL cholesterol, those don't penetrate your, your arterial wall. So we look at anything that's not HDL. So yeah, so it really kind of depends on, on the breakdown of it. And then, you know, some people, you know, some people have what they think is a healthier diet, but, you know, I see a lot of patients who start following more of a, a paleo type of diet and where they're eating a lot of more, you know, putting butter on things, more, um, just more, very high saturated fat diet, less, less legumes. I know the paleo folks don't like the legumes. They don't like oats. Those things lower cholesterol a lot too. So, um, so you, you, know, you just want to make sure of that. And then also there can be secondary causes of, um, what we call hyperlipidemia or high cholesterol. And those, the most common, or one of the most common that I see is, is some thyroid issues there too. And then of course, genetic, you can't, you know, we can't control, you know, some people are just going to have it regardless of their lifestyle, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. So that's another possibility. So cholesterol being high isn't necessarily a bad thing. It depends on Not the, the HDL. However, a doctor should be turning around to the, their patient and saying, when they say your cholesterol is high, they should be basically saying your LDL is high um, right. or, or your non-HDL is Correct. relatively high. Um, if they don't say, uh, say that specifically uh, and they want to check that the doctor hasn't kind of said a misleading statement by saying that their total cholesterol is high and what what kind of uh, ratio range are they looking for? Yeah, so I, I can never remember the um, the, the conversion over to uh, to the metric. Um, it's, it's, we do milli we do milligrams per deciliter. So no problem. Um, so for for uh, we have these cutoffs. It's you'd want to shoot for an optimal range of you know under 130, 100 to one hundred thirty non HDL. Okay. Um, that's non-HDL, so you usually add about 30 to the LDL, and it's going to be about what your non-HDL should be. So, you know, you'd want your LDL to be under 100 to 130 uh, as, as well, you know, non-HDL at least below 160. So if it starts getting, you know, above 160, you're kind of like, you know, what's going on here? I see a lot of guys where their diets change them, uh, their LDLs go from, they were around one. 100, 110, all the way up to 160, which means that their non-HDL is, you know, gets up to 190 region. And it's kind of like, what did you do with your diet? Like, what did I don't even know. So, 
you know, if you start seeing the 160, 190 ranges for your LDL and non-HDLs, um, you can you know, hopefully make some dietary changes. And, and a lot of doctors will throw people on statins, uh, you know, right away. And I, I would just, you know, question them. Try to try to understand what, what what's called the number needed to treat. These are basically how many uh, people need to be on one of these medicines for a few years to prevent one heart attack. You know, what other risk factors do you have? Do you, do you, just, do you have a, a family history of early heart attacks? Um, uh, do you do you have higher blood pressure, higher blood sugar? All these other things kind of contribute to your risk of actually having a heart attack. So, if it's just cholesterol, you know, it's just mildly elevated. It's like, well, just try to do the best you can with lifestyle. I wouldn't necessarily start a medicine, but that's a good discussion to have with your doctor. Thank you, Spencer. I'll type that in the show notes along with the the metric uh, for people, so that you don't have to. So for you guys listening, you don't have to scrub back and, uh, and grab Perfect. that again. Um, you you said that um, you it's unusual for someone's um, uh, LDL to spike up, but um, I remember you talking uh, a year, a couple of years ago, um, about how you would get some patients. I'm not sure if this still happens to you. You would get some patients come in. They're exercising. They're really um, looking after their diets. Um, they look really healthy, um, but all of a sudden their their LDL is now through the roof. Um, yeah. uh, they've been putting butter and uh, MCT yeah. in their coffee in the yeah. morning. Um, could you yeah. just talk about that for us? Yeah. So, you know, there's a lot of these health fads, you know, doing this low carb, high fat ketogenic diets and, um, you know, people love it. And, and then also things go commercial like Bulletproof Coffee where they're putting, you know, butter, Kerrygold's butter and, you know, if they don't have MCT oil, they're putting in coconut oil uh, into their coffee, and, and not just like a little, little, little bit here, but they're putting mounds of it in there on top of what now is their high saturated fat paleo type of, of diet. You know, they're eating tons of eggs, which eggs aren't bad for you. Don't get me wrong; that you know, a few eggs here and there aren't bad for you. But you, you start cooking them in butter, you start putting butter on your ribeyes and things like that, and it all adds up. Mm. And so the, the thought is there, there are some certain things that happen when you go into a ketogenic diet. You know, you, maybe you, you um, um, actually make cholesterol and, and, and a little bit faster. But then with the saturated fat, high saturated fat, certain type, and there's different types of saturated fat, by the way, but um, the type that's in butter can actually, what we think is downregulate the LDL receptor. And all that basically means is that you're having less recycling of that bad cholesterol and so it's sitting in your blood a little bit longer right um, so people I mean people have just astronomic levels when they do this sometimes um, it looks it almost looks like they have a, a genetic disease called familial uh, hypercholesterolemia that's the levels they get up to and then when you change them back to the normal diet it goes back down mm -hmm. so it's, it's really fascinating and is that still is it still a thing in the states? Or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I still see it. I mean, I not as much, uh, which thank God. But um, I still, you know, I have a, a a support group online, and people come on there and say, "Hey, I thought I was doing the right thing, and all of a sudden I saw my cholesterol go up." So what's funny is the low carb guys, the low carb high fat guys. They basically say that cholesterol doesn't matter. 
and and then you know they'll even say the the apoB those particles don't matter it's it's all about the insulin resistance and and they're partially correct in that the insulin resistance is is important but it's it's both things you don't want high you don't want high lipids you don't want insulin resistance um, and, and so eating high saturated fat is not it's just not a good idea especially the the type that comes from butter the palmitic acid um, definitely not okay and you don't want that because it can kill you basically yeah <laughs> what's that <laughs> yeah basically it can give you cardiovascular diseases that can kill you yeah right? i mean the good news That's... is it happens over long periods of time so if you do notice it going up you can just change it you shouldn't have an effect but if you have it over years that's when it starts building up. So it, it, atherosclerosis does take time, but it's yeah. you, you, you don't want to stick with it if it's looking that way. So, so for the guy, uh, the friend of yours is like, ah, oh, I really feel good and energetic in the morning after having my coffee with butter and MCT oil. It's awesome. I feel amazing throughout and I don't have to eat until lunchtime. You'd just say to them, okay, but perhaps have your blood panel done um and see where yeah. you're at yeah exactly i mean I, i'm i'm pretty reasonable I'm, I'm not you know i know a lot of people are like that's so stupid and whatever it's like okay if they feel fine and it's not causing harm who cares but if it is and it's clearly looking like a bad deal it's like hey man maybe you should not do that <laughs> mm. at least stop putting the butt i mean you can keep the mct oil in it maybe that's it doesn't have as much of an effect as the as the straight up butter, but um, <laughs> yeah, I, I always I do I do what's called a lean latte. I, I put protein powder in, in coffee um, after ah, it's cooled. Like do that instead of the do that instead of butter. <laughs> okay, um, you say after it's cooled. Um, what yeah, have, you don't want it to clump. Yeah. So so yeah. So if you, in fact, no, do it when it's hot. See what happens, guys. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, make sure you wait for it to cool. Um, I've done that mistake as well. In fact, it might have been your fault, actually. I think uh, I heard you say that maybe earlier this year or last year. Probably. Yeah. And I thought, oh, okay, I'll give that a go. I was like, what the hell is this? What's <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah. Um, all right, I want to be conscious of your time, Spencer. Um, where can people find out more about you? Yeah, go to my website, drspencer.com, D-R-S-P-E-N-C-E-R.com. Uh, I also have a website with my brother. We try to promote other doctors who promote exercise. It's called docswholift.com. Excellent. We have, we have to update that soon. But you can also hit me up on Twitter at, at Dr. Nadolsky. And then also my Facebook is where I'm the most um, – uh, most active so that's just um dr spencer nadalski on facebook okay and i'll put that in the show notes because obviously no one's going to be able to spell your name um <laughs> <laughs> and also the fat loss prescription if people want to get that they can just punch that into amazon or google yeah right. yeah um you're a really passionate guy i know you care a hell of a lot about what you do um if you could have one a4 sheet on the desk in front of every doctor tomorrow morning is the first thing they see with a sentence what would you have on there 
Just one sentence? Well, you could have a couple or three. I, I, I would say don't forget that lifestyle is the most powerful drug we have. And, you know, maybe in a small little asterisk that says that means exercise, nutrition, and sleep. Perfect. Thank you. And um, what does the future hold for you, would you say, other than uh, a baby? Uh, yeah, in the next that's couple right. Of weeks. Oh. Couple of weeks, yeah. Uh, so, so I'm I'm working with this company, a really cool company, Steady MD. Um, just signed a contract with them to create this telemedicine uh, program where people, you know, if you don't jive with your doctor, um, that's okay. But you should, you should, I think everybody should have a doctor that really gets to know them, and no matter where they live. Uh, um, so that's something that we're working on. I'm also becoming the the director of obesity medicine for my big hospital organization, which is is really cool. Uh, and then in the distant future, I want to have a a gym a gym clinic. Basically, it's a gym with a doctor's office connected. So that's my goal. Awesome! That sounds great. And congratulations on that appointment, Spence. Thank congratulations. you. Congratulations! Yeah. Um, if people want to uh, turn up at a conference and uh, hang out. Uh, is there anywhere they can see you over the next year? Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'm I'm going to the fitness summit, and uh, that's in Kansas City, May fifth and sixth. In the the goal is hopefully in the future I'll be doing more uh, more Alan Aragon type stuff, so that'll be fun. When you say Alan Aragon type stuff, um, most, yeah, he's most all people over will be familiar. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, you mean world domination? Um, do you mean um, research, clinical research, uh, or you well, mean some like, of that? I'll be doing review? some of that, but. Uh, no, more of uh, the, these little conferences and summits that he does. I, I think it would be really fun to to really spread the message and get lots of other people um, passionate about lifestyle as medicine. And I know a lot of trainers are, but having the right knowledge to then be able to work with other physicians and whatever it is to to get the message out there. Spencer, thank you very much for your time today. I most appreciate thanks it. Thanks for having me and thanks for, thanks for the microphone. That's the show for this week. You'll find links to everything we talked about in the show notes on the site. If you have any questions for either of us, you can grab us in the comments section. Just go to ripbody.com forward slash podcast. Now, I really appreciate you giving me your ear, but listening without any action is not going to get you any closer to your physique goals. So make sure you're applying what you're learning. Now, I've spent the last six years coaching people online and then writing up free nutrition and training guides on the site. So head over to ripbody.com. If you have any questions, ask me in the comments. I've answered nearly 20,000 of them. And when you're ready to dig a little deeper, you'll see that I've co-authored a couple of books on nutrition and training setup, and I've written one on dietary adjustments of my own. If you put the effort in, I'm here for you. One small request. If you haven't left a review on iTunes yet, it'll only take a few seconds on your phone right now, and a five-star review will really help the show out. Thank you, and catch you next time.